Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Today we're going to tell you the story of one of the unlikeliest artistic collaborations and smash hit podcasts in the world, Ear Hustle. Starting from the Media Lab inside San Quentin, Ear Hustle brought together artist Nigel Poor with Erlon Woods, who was then an inmate at the prison in Marin. The show they made smashed prison stereotypes with humor and candor, as well as revealed the human toll of mass incarceration. Now they've got a book out that fills in the details about their remarkable project. That's coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking today about the Pulitzer-nominated podcast, Ear Hustle. If you haven't heard it, we're going to play some cuts for you this morning. But what I would say about it is this. This is the rare media project that seems to be in genuine conversation with incarcerated people and not just there to harvest and exploit their stories. It's a really remarkable thing. And joining us to talk about how they make the show and the new book based on it are the co-hosts of Ear Hustle, Erlon Woods and Nigel Poor. Welcome. Hello. How hello, you doing? Hello. Thanks for having us. So good to talk with you. As you both know, I am a big fan of the show. Oh, um, and your new book opens with this audio montage. It's so freaking hard to make it quiet in here. It's prison. We got to turn that fan off Hey, do you now. think it's quiet enough? It's going to get hot. Nope, never is. It's never freaking quiet enough in here, man. Never quiet. It's prison for you. Uh, All right, everybody, we're going to need some quiet. Hey, Jeff. All right, we're recording. Hey, hey, can we get about 10 minutes so we can get this line out? No problem, man. Hey, look at Hear that? Hear what? It's finally quiet in here. Okay, let's do it. Like it's a great cut, full of life and and humor and the Raiders, and like so many things in your work, it just made me curious about new things. Like in mm-hmm. this case, the noisiness or like the soundscape on the inside. So, Erlen, when you were at San Quentin, what did it sound like as you got into bed to go to sleep? Well, in the in the in the units, it's different, you know, um, in the general population units because everybody trying to go to sleep at a specific time, but. If it wasn't general population and it was like reception center or administrative segregation, it'd be hella loud. It'd be real loud, you know. Um, but the but the general population, everybody pretty much uh, 
uh, go to sleep at a righteous time because when the gates rack, everybody come out in the morning. So if you've uh, been acting up all night, you might have some issues. What are the sounds that you remember most from that time? Probably the PA system. Somebody getting on the PA system and repeating something, whether it's loud, too loud. Uh, that's the one thing I can say is that PA system. Somebody getting on there telling us something that we we don't need to know. <laughs> uh, Nigel, there are these cliches of prison sound like yeah. that get used in media like the clanking of the jail uh, cell shut right the keys so, jangling right the keys exactly exactly so when you started to work in prison which we're going to get into what surprised you most about what you heard as you went inside oh okay well some of what surprised me came across in that clip that you started with and i'm so glad you chose that to begin because it expresses kind of the joy and the surprise and the chaos and the collaboration that's happening all the time inside. And so I think that surprised me, the, like the laughter and the, the willingness to, to find something to um, inspire you, even in a place that's full of deprivation. Um, so I think that, that clip encapsulates so many of those um, surprises that I had when I went in there. So let's talk about this book a little bit, which came out late last year. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of the podcast is hearing the voices yeah. of these people on it. Like not not just the words they're saying, but the, the timber of the voice and how things are said. So what did you think a book could do that the podcast could not? Mm. I think hearing it is the easiest part. I think the book is how was it able to get done. That yeah. was the the harder part to yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I was, we both really wanted to write a book. We were very excited about it. But I was nervous how, like, the creative challenge of how do you translate audio to the page and is it going to have the same kind of impact? And so in the book, we concentrated on some different things that we don't talk about in the podcast. And so I think that allowed us to ease into no, yeah, getting getting the podcast onto the page. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, it was definitely a creative challenge. A big thing, though, right, is you really talk about your own lives yes. a yeah. lot, right? Um, Erlon, you want to go first? I mean, who was Teenage Erlon? Hoo-wee! <laughs> Teenage Erlon was just a a person that just went along with the flow, I can say, you know. Um, and that was, that was the fun part about really writing it because in the podcast itself, we don't too much talk about our private life or we don't talk about our life in general unless it's part of the story. Um, but I think me as a young cat was just trying to just, you know, do things that I thought were cool to do. And I ended up in a lot of time out situations, uh, spending time away, you know, just, just being adventurous in the neighborhood. Yeah. And I know that's kind of broad, but. Well, no, you know, I, I, the thing I found interesting about your section, Erlon, is like, I imagine it's both hard to revisit that time in your life, in, in part because it's how you ended up in prison. On the other hand, it was your youth. And so it was also kind of fun, right? And I think some of that, you know, young person energy does, in fact, come across, even though we kind of know how that chapter of your life ends. No, definitely. I think, you know, especially like for me, I'm so close to that part because when you've I've spent a total of 27 years in prison and when you've spent that long in prison you know you you have prison memories but your last memory memories are when you free in society so you know that was closer to me so my childhood and all that is still like like near me because that's what I had to hold on to you know yeah Nigel, what about your part of the story mm-hmm. what would you what would you want to say about the Nigel 
before your experience with the penal system and yeah. mass incarceration and, and the people of yeah. San Quentin. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing Erlon and I had in common before we met is that we both really struggled with learning disabilities in school and had to find workarounds to kind of get through the educational system. And so that I think we both have that spirit of wanting to get things done, but having to do them in a different way. And we'd, we'd never really had talked about that before, but it came across in the writing. And so for me, that was like learning something that joined us closer and made me understand in some ways why Erlon and I get along so well. Um, and because of having those learning disabilities, I've always found different ways to learn. And one is by observing and listening to stories. And so I think that in my, in my natural curiosity really... Um, uh, was it was it, was of service to me when I got into prison because I knew how to be a good listener and to look for the clues that a lot of people miss and so it helped me connect with people in there and what to, kind of clues are you thinking about I, I'm talking about like the nonverbal gestures that you know that people do like I, when you go into a room and you can read a room you can read the emotions in there you can read people's facial expressions. Um, you, you understand what's being communicated without hearing any words. And I think when you have learning disabilities, that's one of the things you have to do because you don't take in the information the way most people do. And so you just become a very good observer. Um, so just like to notice how the temperature in the room changes when a certain person walks in there or how someone's voice, the way they use their voice, either commands respect or allows people to kind of step all over them. And, you know, prison, right? I mean, prison is full of, of like... These these mysteries that you've got to solve yeah, all the I'm, time. I'm listening to her say this. Uh, you almost got an interesting chapter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was fun to hear about the early story yeah. uh, of you all working on on audio. Fun to hear that Holly Kernan, who's our chief oh, yeah, content Queen officer of here at KQD, was Queen kind of, of a radio. big part of the early days, a big right? Part of it. A big part of it. Um, she she sent the troops in. Yep. That's so so what did they do? They just basically came in and tell you how to cut tape and record and all that kind of well, stuff. Well they just they they just get facilitated what they knew. Yeah. You know, they gave us their insight on editing, on cutting tape, on, you know, what's good actualities, what's this, what's that. Try and, to teach us about how to write scripts. Yeah, try to teach us all that, you know. Um so they definitely Holly Kernan, mm-hmm. I call her the queen of radio to this day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was great. And then how did you know when you two were going to start working together in this really kind of intense collaboration and what would become Ear Hustle? Like what was kind of the moment when that flipped from, you know, working on audio in general, working on projects yeah. inside, you're working with the Prison University Project and all that yeah. kind of stuff, Nigel. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, we, Erlan and I have been working together for, I don't know, maybe two years before we, two or three years before yeah. we started yeah. doing the podcast. And, um, you know, I spoke earlier about being a good observer. Well, Erlon also is a really good observer. And things were, there were some issues in the media lab. <laughs> um, and um, Erlon kind of saw me getting tired of it and thinking about walking away from it. And mm-hmm. he convinced me to stay and we would, do you want to tell it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, she was ready to jump ship. I seen my freedom leaving. <laughs> you know, it was getting, the, the light was going down. I was like, no, give me 90 days. Let me change this whole program. And yeah. um, she gave And that me, was just people, like, messing with you, Nigel? Or no, what was more it was egos. Yeah. You know, people, like, uh, yeah, egos. And, you know, and, and also, like, I wasn't in there to be somebody's, uh, administrative assistant. Right. Um, I went in there to try to do collaborative work. And, you know, like any place, there's people who have ambitions that may f- 
<laughs> and not just always, you know, she's always been big on that too. Like, yeah. as far as community, you know what I'm saying? Like, a, a outside volunteer can, you know, be a colleague of someone that's inside if you have like some important work to do. Yeah. So she's definitely been a proponent of that. And um, I think she was just ready to just pack up and leave. And yeah, uh, and, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to, but I want. I, I just wanted to take it in a different direction than than the radio and. Um, you know, I was just very more interested in long form storytelling and thinking about things from the perspective of an artist. And Erlon and I had talked a lot about it, and he was interested in that too. And we just wanted to do something for the inside yeah. uh, San Quentin for the closed circuit TV channel, put something up so guys on death row, guys in the general population can listen in. And the bigger dream was for it to be aired in all the prisons in California. Mm-hmm. And that so that was the early dream. Did that you was know it. it was going to be was called Ear Hustle? Did you know it was going to be a podcast? Well, that, like, that yes. Was we knew it was going to be a podcast, even though it wasn't going to be a podcast in a traditional sense because it was just going to air inside the prison. But that was the dream, to create something that felt like a podcast to be heard inside all the prisons in California. We didn't even think about it being aired outside. Nah, that was not that part of the dream. That wasn't like the... I mean, that would have been cool, you know? <laughs> and thank God to Radiotopia. <laughs> yeah, because... that would have been cool. But, you know, it was like I say, it was just, you know, the our audience was like people that were men and women that were incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And Radiotopia, of course, for those listening, is a network of podcasts that had a competition for a new show yeah. that then Ear Hustle won. PodQuest, yeah. Pod now, I remember Nigel came in with the brochure, like, what do you think about this? Like, yeah, okay, we haven't done a podcast, but I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> and we're going to hear some of that podcast when we get back for the break. We are here talking with the Pulitzer-nominated podcast, Ear Hustle with Erlon Woods, co-host, and Nigel Poor, also a co-host. We want to hear from you. What are your reflections, favorite moments from the Ear Hustle podcast? What did it make you curious about in prison life? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. Stay tuned. We're going to hear a little bit of the first episode of Ear Hustle when we get back. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with the creators of the podcast, Ear Hustle. That's Erlon Woods. He's also the founder of Choose One, which works to repeal California's three strikes law. And Nigel Poor, who is co-host, co-creator, co-producer of Ear Hustle, as well as a professor of photography at California State University, Sacramento. So at this part in the story of Ear Hustle, we're about to get to the first episode. 
Uh, first episode is called Sellies. Uh, what what's a Selly? A Selly is a roommate to a lot of people, but being that you know we're in this cell environment, it becomes a Selly. But it's uh someone that you get. I don't you you get assigned to a cell with you know you may not know the person you know the person could be suffering from some type of depression some type yeah, of anxiety how big is and the, the cell space? is no more than probably five feet by ten feet yeah. if you're in a good cell <laughs> littler than that if, if not. yeah with a toilet two bunks yeah. it's tiny so some sometimes you don't know the person but mm-hmm. sometimes you do right yes. so the cut that I'd love you to set up is about Emil and Eddie. Two Sellies who are also brothers, right? Yes, mm. Emil and Eddie, two cool dudes. And I think, you know, when you sometimes when you grow up with some people, you know, it's cool, but then I think sometimes you're just a little too close. But you would think it would be perfect, right? I think it would be perfect. I was in the cell with my brother, that's and it, right. it was okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, But, that's but in this case, <laughs> Emil had been watching a soap opera, I believe, on the yes. Sabbath. Young and the Restless. And, and Eddie took exception to it. Let's, let's hear this cut of Emil and Eddie. He's pissed because, you know, in his mind, I'm not respecting his space and respecting his Sabbath. Uh, so, you know, he declares like a, a, a passive-aggressive war on me, and he stops showering. And when I call him on that showering, right, he keeps bringing up this, just watching television on the Sabbath, right? And I'm like, bro, in my mind, I'm getting hella frustrated because in my mind, I'm like, man, what the hell does one have to do with the other, man? You have to shower, man. This is it's not the same thing. So not only did he stop showering, but he stopped, like, using deodorant. He wasn't using deodorant uh, because, you know, in my mind, I guess that just made the warfare more potent, right? <laughs> that is so not true. But on, the, but on the other hand, right, he does have this thing uh, about, like, deodorant and, like, conspiracies of, like, chemicals. and. They say that aluminum and the antiperspirant deodorants and stuff will cause like memory loss or Alzheimer's when you get older and I was like why would I poison myself like that he wants to be natural and it's just a natural smell and what's the big deal uh, it's a big deal let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's can a funny we episode. talk it's, it is a very funny episode can we talk about it like why that as the first episode mm-hmm. and what were you considering in how to approach that topic so I think for the most part, you know, when we was trying to figure out, since we knew that our podcast was going to be heard in the world, it was like, well, how do you get people to identify with prison? Um, and I think everybody can identify with probably having a roommate. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we're always trying to find the commonalities between life inside and life outside. And as Erlon said, getting along with somebody and living together is a universal experience. And like... But, of course, there are things that are not universal about this experience, too, right? <laughs> yes. So how do, you, how do you deal with those aspects? I mean, in my mind, I was wondering if you ask yourselves a question about each episode. Like, mm. what does this episode teach the inside, the outside world about the inside? Or what is, like, is there something like that, a, a framing question that you put around each episode so that you make sure you're kind of keeping to the mission of the well, show? Well, at the beginning, it was what Erlon said. We wanted, well, we wanted to make apparent the types of stories we were telling, which were about everyday life in prison, that we were going to be using all kinds of emotion, humor, things that are difficult, things that, you know, we're passionate about, and there was going to be a particular sound. So I think at, at the start, it was more, it was a larger idea 
that we were trying to get across. And then, yeah, um, with each with each episode, we ha- we start with a story, but we're also pretty improvisational, and we don't always know exactly where it's going to go. But we knew that first one was going to be about getting along with other people in a small in a small space. Erlon, do you feel like Ear Hustle has like a mission statement? I think, you know, our only mission statement is to just basically, you know, um, let individuals enjoy stories that are being told by individuals that's living that life, you know. Um, and it's, it's like you said, you're going to get good, you're going to get bad, you know. It, we might resolve something, we might not. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you ask if we have a mission statement. It is That's just not how we think. Um, I think, you know, we're stories first. We want people to be able to tell their own stories. I don't like this expression, but it, it gets it cuts to the chase. We want to humanize people in prison. And again, that would not be the word I would choose. It would be a longer conversation. No, no, no. And I actually, let's dig in here. This is like kind of my, as I thought about Ear Hustle and mm-hmm. and how much I love it, how much other people love it. That is, you see when you read about, your when you read what people say about your podcast, it's like it humanizes people who are incarcerated. It humanizes mm-hmm. people who are incarcerated. And I understand why that's a very complex thing, right. why maybe we don't want to use that particular language. I think what's kind of fascinating, though, maybe even more interesting, is once you've awakened that connection between people mm-hmm. on the inside and the outside, then you kind of, what do you do then? <laughs> you have, yeah. Like, once people are like, yeah, I get it. People on the inside are human beings. Once they're fully, like, they, they have torn away and torn down some of the so- social conditioning they mm-hmm. have to to see people on the inside as not human, then yeah. what? Yeah. So um, for me, it's two-pronged. I, I hope that our stories encourage the people who have the power to make change in laws and changes in how prisons operate do something. I hope we're giving the ingredients needed to make those really difficult changes. I don't have the ability to do that. Erlon might. He has more influence than I have. Um, but that that's the hope. But my other equal hope is that our work gives people inside prison um, a sense of again, I hate these words, of agency, that they are important, that they have stories to tell, that they're creative, they're funny, they're troubled, they're interesting, all of those things. I mean, it gives creative license to everyone that's involved to dig into what they have to offer. Um, Because I think ultimately, your hustle is about talking about where you find meaning in life and how does life matter. And so as an individual, that's the thing I really care about is, is doing something that allows everyone involved and everyone who hears it to think about their own value. And I think you no, know, I think somebody's going to get something out of each episode we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about Leslie Van Houten. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you know, a lot of person, a lot of people may have heard of her, but just heard of her through the movies or whatever. Yeah. And we had a chance to like sit down with her and talk to her. So we basically introduced her, who she is today, to. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. you had individuals writing in, like, why is she still in jail 50-something years later? Yeah. You know, and it, how do we change that, you know? And, so, it, and I know— Nigel, it, Nigel, tell us yeah. who Leslie Van Houten yeah. is for those who don't remember. Yes. So Leslie Van Houten was, unfortunately, is known as one of the Manson girls. Um, in the 70s, she was part of, a small part of um, the Lombianca Yes. murders, And so she's infamous. I mean, she's inf- all of the people involved with Manson are infamous. She's been in prison for 52, 52 years. Something like that, yeah. 52 years. And we had the opportunity to talk with her and do a story with her in a way we've never done before, which was all through the phone, through 15-minute phone calls. And um, to tell a story that's never been told about her and to be able to collaborate 
um, with her. And again, talk about her as a human being. We didn't even talk about her crime until quite a bit into the story because the story wasn't about her crime. It was about what does it mean to spend half a century in prison? How do you age in prison? How do you change from, you know, an 18-year-old to someone who's 71? Um, And Alexis, I want to go back to that question about why we do Ear Hustle. If we can get people to think about someone like Leslie or any situation in prison in a different way, it means that they can also think about other situations in a different way, and they can find a, a power in in being having their assumptions judged. And again, I think that's what Ear Hustle can do, whether it's stories about prison or not. It gets people to, to, to confront themselves, and that's really powerful. Let's bring in our first caller. Some people want to talk with you. Chris from Oakland, welcome to the show. Man, what's up, your hustle? What's I just want to say a couple of things. Man, Erline, Nash, I just want to shout y'all out. I mean, I had to make notes because I was nervous. Aww. I was like, why am I nervous? I felt like I'm like nervous like I had a card of case. <laughs> you talking to the homies, to man. This, man. Not Nas was saying that it helps people inside see the value, but not only does that do it there, it does it outside with people who've been formerly incarcerated, such as myself. And it helped me. That show helped. I'm about to cry. It helped me relate with my wife and my family and help them hear an experience that I could never, I could never fully like explain to them, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And. I wanted to say West Block, West Block is now 10.30. We ask for your cooperation, participation, shutting tonight's program down. This, <laughs> it was a rough ride, right? What was that when West Block was a reception? <laughs> man, 19 months, eight days, and nine and a half hours. And so oh. I just wanted to say that dunk was enough for me, right? And I can't imagine. I I can't imagine from Chipper Bone and Mob Dog and everybody I walked the yard with over in uh, Solano. But just to say that you are being cathartic, helpful, and talking about stealing people thunder. Yeah, I was about to say something to help you see the humanity in people regardless. And you all did that, accomplished that on such an amazing level. And I want to say I got the T-shirt, right? White nice. That's what's up. Everyone's got the merch. No, no. No, the merch. Hey, see, the merch is yeah. what helps uh, the college inside. Uh, you know, we yeah. donate a portion to the college inside. Yeah. So. Hey, Chris, um, really, thank you for that. That that really makes me tear up, too. I appreciate it. And that's what we really want to do is connect with people that we don't always get to meet in person. So you calling in and sharing that means it, oh, it means definitely. so much. It just pushes us forward. So thank you. Definitely. Thank you. Y'all keep it. doing what you do. Walk it slow, drink water, take it slow, and keep it eye right, low. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up. Hey, Thanks, Chris, Chris, thank you so much. We so appreciate that call. And mm. uh, glad to hear you're, you're doing well on the outside. Thanks, Chris. Um, Man, these are the kind of calls. These are kind of conversations that that your hustle lets us lets us in on. Yeah, and it's it's a really it's a remarkable thing. I do, at least to me, it feels like the candor that you're able to elicit from people mm-hmm. is kind of unmatched. And do you think that came because you started the show on the inside? Even though airline, you've obviously been out for a while now. Uh, yes, that's interesting. Yeah, I think. 
Yeah, when we just started on the inside, it was just like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, you know, I, Alexis, I'm going to go back to this. You're asking if we had a mission. We did not have a mission. We nah. wanted to just talk to people. Like, we went, we would go into interviews. We didn't have any questions. We would just sit down and start talking with people. And get and six hours of tape. Get six hours of tape. <laughs> but it is about communication and about being present with other people and having that candor and not having a necessary, not necessarily having an agenda that we're trying to hit over and over again. We're letting people slowly come to the surface through our conversation and they're allowing us to, to do the same thing. Yeah. And I think I was naive because I I didn't know that people didn't know about prisons. I know. I thought people just knew about them, you know, like cuz it was my everyday exactly. so Exactly. You know, hearing like people didn't really have any insight on what was going on or none of that. That was that was big for me. Yeah. And I think the other thing that made it work is we didn't have huge expectations. We knew we just wanted to do this project, and as we said, we wanted it to play inside the prison. So there wasn't a pressure. The pressure was just on ourselves to do what we found interesting and wanted to create. And that's, you know, I think that's that's really freedom. But I can yeah. tell you something, though. Yeah. Stories has not gotten any easier. <laughs> no, it has not. It's gotten harder. <laughs> that is true. It does not get any easier. So, you know, one of the, the themes that I have found so fascinating in the show is the way that kind of race structures and cuts across prison experiences mm-hmm. in these ways that I don't know. I, I don't really actually know what to say about it or what to think about it. Let's listen to a cut of, of Chain. Um, Shane. Who's going to talk Shane. about Yeah, Shane. 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 Sorry. Shane Hampton. Um, hey, Shane, if you're listening. Talking about following the rules. Yes. There were a few crucial pieces of advice that someone on the level four yard told me. Don't eat after other races, don't smoke after other races, and don't hide during a riot. In other words, if Erlon had a bowl of food and that shit looks hella good, I don't taste it. And if he's smoking a joint or a cigarette, whatever, that's not for me to smoke. No matter how bad I may want it, and if something cracks off, don't hide. Don't ever do that, because somebody's going to see you over there, balled up, hiding. And that's some basic convict etiquette right there, 101. So, you know, I'm reading this in the book. This is in the the New Ear Hustle book. And I just was thinking to myself, like, how does it feel to have... Race, of course, does structure things in the outside world. Mm -hmm. But on the inside world, this isn't like a white supremacist guy. He, like, Mm -hmm. makes a whole... Goes to all these lanes to be like, no, not American History X. I wasn't interested in white power. And yet, he sees his whiteness as being more or less essential to his survival on the inside. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Erlon can talk about this, but, I mean, race in prison is right Right. out there. You know, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, you know, um, where, you know, the police force was, you know, all white, right? Um, But I didn't really see racism, racism until I got to prison. You know, that's where I seen segregation. That's where I seen, oh, this side is not with this side or, you know, these sides are not talking or whatever the case may be. I saw race firsthand in prison and this is 2022 and you still can see it like that Mm -hmm. it's still segregated it's still uh sectioned off like that in 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 the prisons in california so um for shane you know to just you know stay the line of not trying to be affiliated with a specific gang or or power structure or whatever it's it's kind of i don't want to say it's rare but it's it's genuine you know Mm -hmm. I mean, I just remember, like, from the book, he's talking about watching BET, and this yeah. dude comes up to him, white dude comes up to him and says, 
Like, we what are you wa- doing? Yeah, we don't watch that. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's how... That's how um, and in part, though, like, in the conversation, it's because if something were to happen, then that white guy would have felt like he had to fight for Shane. And so there's this whole kind of... I don't know, that, that whole system... It's a, supposedly you take care of your own, you know, yeah. and if you if you don't indulge, it'll, it'll slow down conflicts or it'll stop conflicts or... Yeah, it's a really hard thing to talk about. And I'm, I'm hesitant. Yes, to that's the race. To I mean, this might as well. I mean, it's... but it is. It, it's, it's interesting when you go in there. I mean, it is so upfront. No, nobody's yeah. hiding behind what they want you to perceive them as being. People are very blatant about how they feel about race issues, and so you kind of have to get used to it. And then, as you said, there's all this subtext. There's reasons for some of these rules, and I'm I'm not saying it's okay, mm-hmm. but. But if you go in there and think, oh, man, you can't act like this, you should blah, 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 you're, you're missing a lot of the subtlety and the points of, of unfortunately, why some of these segregate, these separations happen in prison. We, and we did a story like that. Yeah. yeah. And so then when you meet people who buck the system, yeah. you're like, hey, you're amazing. You know, like, thinking outside the box. Yeah, they're really thinking outside the box. So it gives you a lot to ponder, and it's it's uh, it's in your face, and it's nuanced at the same time. Yeah. But, like, obviously, that's a little dangerous. And airline. Yeah, I mean, you're bucking the system, making a podcast as a white woman from the outside. So how was that scene? I'm a white woman from the outside. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think you know, it was you know, it, it was fun, you know, because you had a person like Nigel Poor that was really you know engaged into it. You know, she was really like a part of it. It wasn't like she was just from the outside and that was it. No, she was like every day with us and and trying to see things differently. You know and um, if for us, you know, inside that understood it, it was a, it was a, a breath of fresh air. You know what I'm saying? To be able to uh, be a part of something that changes something or that makes the place where we're at, uh, I guess, for better uh, a better place. You know, mm-hmm. I think what we've done with with, with Ear Hustle and with Nigel coming in as a volunteer has basically. Uh, a lot of other individuals are trying to do it in other prisons and other states and other countries. So I think it's, it's dope. Yeah. We're talking about the podcast Ear Hustle and the new book. This is Ear Hustle with Erlon Woods, co-host, co-creator, and co-producer of Ear Hustle, as well as the founder of Choose One, which works to repeal California's three strikes law. And Nigel Poor, co-host, co-creator, and co-producer of Ear Hustle and a professor of photography at California State University, Sacramento. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Pulitzer-nominated podcast Ear Hustle with its creators and hosts, Erlon Woods and Nadra Poor. We want to hear from you. Have, has anything you've heard on Ear Hustle changed the way you think about incarceration or people who are incarcerated? And what does hearing stories about prison mean for you? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. The email, of course, is forum at kqed.org. And let's go to the phones. Katie in San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I uh, First of all, I want to thank uh, Nigel and Erlan for all their hard work. I started listening to... Um, back in 2016 when the show first started. Uh, I work in criminal court, and I see people sent away to prison every day. Or not every day, but frequently. And so it's always kind of a mystery, or it was, you know, where they go, what happens um, after after their case is resolved. And it was it's been really great to understand and, and get really deep understanding of what happens in prison. Um, so I really appreciate all your work. Um, my question is, at the end of each podcast, um, I think his name's Sam Robinson, who's going to be approved <laughs> the, the message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was just wondering if you ever put together something that was not approved, um, and if so, what it was and, and why it wasn't approved, if that ever happened. I think it almost happened somewhat. Um, <laughs> it almost happened. It was a story we was doing called The Shoe. Oh, yeah. And um, one of the guys in The Shoe said what, that. What's The Shoe Airline? Oh, yeah. The Shoe is the security housing unit. Um, it's it's pretty much the equivalent of solitary confinement mm-hmm. uh, in the prison. And you had guys that were doing like 30, 40 years in The Shoe. Mm-hmm. You know, and they was validating them based on, you know, frivolous gang stuff. And, um in the in there, they did a hunger strike. The guys did a hunger strike to get out the shoe, and one of the guys said four people had died during the hunger strike. And one of the of the things was, well, we got to investigate to see if four people actually died during the hunger strike. And so that was one of those things that would have held that story up for about a yes. year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was easier just to just not say four people died. Yeah, you know. It, I, I think it's a really important question and. We, I mean, I we don't feel censored. I mean, this, again, all. this is like a nuanced question. We don't feel censored, but we also know the kinds of stories that we're not going to tell because they would get held up, and it's more important to get the stories out. But I'll tell you a story that really challenged it. Really? We, yes, the George Jackson. Ah. The story about George Jackson. <laughs> mm. It was the first episode of the last season. And um, do you want to explain who George Jackson was if people don't know? No, nah, yeah, George Jackson, you know, I want to say was a revolutionary. You know, he was locked up in 1960-something for, 1961, I think, for like a armed robbery, and he ended up doing like 12 years and was uh, killed or assassinated in prison. Um, yeah, he 50 years ago, he was, assa- he was assassinated or killed in prison, and it's so controversial. I mean, it is hard to talk about in prison, people. Correctional officers, incarcerated people, it's a really scary topic. And so we did a story about it. And Lieutenant Author Robinson. Author Soledad, brother, too. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes Soledad, yes. brother, blood of my eye. Yeah. And so we talked to Lieutenant Robinson about it. He he does not, you know, he comes down on the side that George Jackson was how, a, know, thug. a thug. But, and so, but he talks about it, and he talks about it very honestly in the podcast. And I found that interesting. Instead of, 
you know, telling us we couldn't do the podcast or we had to tell it in a certain way. We told it in the way we wanted to tell it, and he yeah. was honest about he, how he felt about it. And I think it made for a better story. Definitely. But I still think, you know, George Jackson was a regular cat, you know, that was, mm-hmm. you know, played by the system or targeted by the yeah. system, you know. You know, the challenges of making a show when you were on the inside were one thing. There were all, you know, there'd be lockdowns, there'd be mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. Once you're both on the outside, then COVID hits, right? So how bring, did that... Bring those that lockdown seems, challenges back. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So how have you been managing to still make stuff even though it's harder than ever, really, yeah. to, to have access to people inside? All gas, no brakes, yeah. or brakes. No brakes. You, you, you got to get line. it in. Yeah, when it opens, you got to get it in. Yeah, so we go in when we can, but we've just found workarounds. We did stories about... Uh, it, that pushed us to, to do more stories about um, life... Post incarceration, yeah. um, and then just creative on the phone. That's when we did the Leslie Van Houten, Van Houten, yeah, Van Houten story. So it's just about getting creative. Hey, hold on, can I say this? Yeah, for the Leslie Van Houten. Yeah, if you would like to support Leslie Van Houten, yeah. please write the governor and say that woman needs to be free because yeah. that's all it takes is the community writing the governor and saying, "Come on, fifty-two years is enough." And She's like been the longest person in prison in the, in the history. I think outside of Rochelle McGee. Yeah, and it's time for people to write because she's um, yeah, she's up for, up for the the governor to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. The port, the parole board already found her suitable for the yeah. fifth time. Yeah, I mean that's some, that is the person we get a lot of questions about what how what can be done to help her. Oh, and yeah. One thing is to write to the governor. For Natural, sure. I, I wanted to ask you something about that episode yeah. too. That um, my producer and I were talking about earlier. We, it's hard to do some of these stories. It's yeah. hard to to face you know, some of the crimes that people have yeah. committed. And for you, the the Manson murders, that whole story was actually a, a big thing in your childhood, totally. right? Totally. I grew up in the 70s, and so the Manson murders, I mean, he was like the person to be afraid of when I was growing up. And the movie came out, and the book came out, Helter Skelter, and I read it way too early. And so growing up, my mind was so full of this dangerous person that somehow got these, you know, captivated these other people to to do things for him. And so, I mean, even in my 40s and 50s, it was still it was still something that lingered there. So it wasn't like I was afraid to talk to Leslie at all, but I just knew I was going into that interview completely fueled by childhood fears, mm-hmm. you know? And so at one point I got, to, after we got to know her, I talked to her about that. I was so nervous, but I, you know, I think we knew her well enough that we could talk about any subject. And I brought up with her how she had been, Charles Manson, who I didn't even want to say his name, and those the women, Leslie being one of them, were like the the fear of my childhood, and so for her, she, she in some ways she thanked me for talking to her about it, but she also talked about what it's like to live in quotes as people's boogeyman, mm. you know, like how how do you ever how do you live with that and understand it. And it's it's a really intense part of the story. And how old was she? Like nineteen? Yeah, she's nineteen. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's that's the one thing that always get me, you know, is that the person was nineteen, was a child at the time, you know. Yeah. And it's almost like you know you can never redeem, yeah. you know, like everybody else can, but you can't, yeah. you know. And that's the sad part, you know. The woman and done everything the state has asked and mm-hmm. been found suitable by the parole board in this in the state, and based on politics, can't get out of prison. 
You know, uh, a couple comments here. Merrily writes, uh, I'm so glad that Ear Hustle is available to the general public as a podcast and have been following you since your second year. Loved it when you went to Sacramento to thank Governor Brown for <laughs> commuting your sentence. Of course. There are times when I get so angry at the treatment I hear about in prisons, and I cry when I hear about people like Ron who got out, went to Stockton, and then dot, 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 so hard. And Yeah. He's and doing so, good, though. He's doing good. Oh, good. Uh, who's Ron? Who's Ron? Ron was a guy. What, what episode was Ron? Ron was in one of our episodes. Oh, gosh. It was about getting it out was of prison. It was Ronnie Young. Uh, he had got out. Oh, he was in a, uh, Kissing the Concrete. Yep. And he's a guy that got out, and we followed him around. And, you know, uh, he he didn't get the right opportunities that he felt, and he ended up back on drugs and then back in the prison system. Mm. Yeah, in and yeah. out. In and yeah. out. So Yeah, yeah. But he's doing good today. I talked to him not too long ago. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, let's... Uh, Let's go to the phones. Let's okay. uh, hear from Amy in Berkeley. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to say uh, thank you so much for your incredible, incredible show and podcast. I'm nervous because I feel like I'm talking to superstars. Um, so, yeah, Nigel's nah, nah, a, a pod- superstar. Nah, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, both of you are. I just like, I have about a thousand favorite podcasts, and yours guys is top of the list. Oh, and so thank you. And it's, you know, what you do is so powerful, intimate storytelling. And that's what I love about podcasts. They're the ones that I love. And I um, I wanted to tell you a personal story, which is I took a podcasting class at Berkeley's Advanced Media Institute mm-hmm. so I could learn to do podcasting. And, of course, along the way, learning, pro- you know, good storytelling his teachers assigned us a lot of episodes of different ones to listen to and yours was one of the first was the first the very first oh. one and it was the episode about roach oh, and my yes. husband and i are listening to it in the kitchen and we're listening and we go wait what roach that was we are pretty sure and i gave my phone number to the producer offline in case i'm right my husband we are pretty sure that roach was my husband's student at laney college who was an amazing artist, and when he was homeless, and we, my husband was letting he's retired now, so I can say this, oh. he was letting him stay um, inside the theater there. What? And we were just like, and so one of the things, I, unless there's someone just like him who has his same name and very similar story, but, and I just, one of the things I love about your stories is I've been knowing people, I've had people in my life from prison because in the mid-1970s, there was a store in Berkeley called Mara Evolutions, and we were hiring a lot of guys out of San Quentin, including a couple of the San Quentin Six. And so they've just been part of my life That's since I was up. a teenager. That's so, yeah. So, well, let's, uh, Amy, but, thank you so much. I wanted to yeah. uh, just get a reflection on who uh, Roach was yeah. and what that story was about. Ronell Draper. Super. I go by Roach. Um, that's still my favorite episode. It was our third episode of season one. It was one, one. of our podcast interests. Yes. And basically the story is about love, finding love and giving love in prison. And it centers around this main guy, Roach, who loves his critters, basically. He has a really hard time getting along with people, <clears throat> but he loves animals and he takes care of all kinds. Take over. My voice sounds crappy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For a second that I pushed the button on mine, I'm taking over yours. Sorry, I'm back. <laughs> um, yeah, it's about all the animals that he takes care of inside San Quentin. And I always love to talk about that story because it 
the way we set it up, it highlights the relationship that Erlan and I have. It's also a story that starts out very funny and gets mm-hmm. really heavy and hard to listen to and then comes back again. Um, and it has great sound design. And Roach is a beautiful storyteller. Yeah, Roach is something else. Yeah. Cool dude. Great. Yeah, so All right. Well, let's, uh, let's bring in another call, Roberta from Berkeley. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Erlan and Nigel. Hello. Hello. I, hi. Um, I've really enjoyed the podcast. And your book is phenomenal. It is really great. I say congratulations to the two of you for what you've done. I have a specific question. Yes. Erlon, you really motivated me to get involved in the three strikes law. How can people, other listeners, also get involved to help get this law off the books? What can Uh, we do? Yes, thank you for that. Uh, So... Uh, chooseone.org is a website individuals can go to. Currently, choosing the number one, right? Choosing, choosing the number the one. one, yes. And what me and uh, uh, guy John Yaya Johnson, who's another producer on Ear Hustle, we're the proponents of an initiative called the Left Behind Act of 2022. And what that does is it repeals California Three Strikes Law. And we just received our title and summary for that. So currently we're trying to go out and get the signatures. But, of course, that takes a lot of funding. So on our chooseone.org webpage, there's a donation button for our uh, campaign. And, yes, it it takes a lot of signatures, 600 and I think 30-some thousand signatures to uh, get it on the ballot for people to vote on it. Uh, but what it will do is it would definitely save uh, a billion dollars a year that would go back Crazy. into education just from repealing the law. And I have to say when um, Erlon is passionate about this, he was trying to do this from inside prison definitely. when I first met him. Definitely. So it's been well, a let's hear passion. about one reason why. I mean, in your episode on Three Strikes, you all talked with a bunch of people about the hopelessness that comes with some of these long sentences. Let's listen into this cut. Some prisoners have every reason to hope because they may only have a few years left on a sentence so they see light at the end of the tunnel. But for guys under the three strikes law, hope is harder to come by. They gave me biblical time. Obviously they thought people can live that Joseph and all them people lived in the Bible would have you. We know that ain't a factory. What is it for a man about 75, 70, you know, what have you? E and I went out to the yard to talk to some three strikers about their sentences. My name is Stacy Bullock. And I have 150 years to life. So how old will you be when you go to parole with 150 years? That's up like 208 years. <laughs> I have 425 to life, so I have to do at least 100 years before I'm eligible for parole. I was sentenced to 1,010 years uh, and 19 life terms for uh, armed bank robbery. My name is Fanon Figures. I'm serving a sentence of 210 years to life. When I go to my first board appearance, I'll be approximately 250. I won't go up for parole until Jesus come back first. Until Jesus come back. Yeah. Biblical now, so, time. Yeah, yeah. Biblical time. So that's, that's been our mission is to repeal this law. You know, I think that, you know, it's been enough of this blanket. Uh, we're going to give you life for anything you do. Um, our mission is like, hey, man, sentence a person to the crimes they committed um, because, you know, with these mandatory minimum sentences, filled the prison system up. And here in California, me being a part of it, it, it filled it up with, you know, black and brown individuals, the, you know, the most people that's stricken out, you know. So our mission is just to end that law. Yeah. And, and we can do it in 2022, but definitely got to get those signatures to get on the ballot. So that's our mission. Let's uh, bring in one last car. Squeeze yes. One last person in. Delilah from Colma. 
Welcome. Hi there. Thank you for taking the call. Thank you for doing all this ear hustle from the outside. I was a prison teacher for like 12 years in the California mm. system. Indeed. And I would have people journal, you know, things like, what do you, how do you want to be remembered? Mm. And every man from ESL students to the GED people, they would all say, I want to be remembered as a good father. And, you know, that said everything to me about right. the people that I was working with. Yeah. Oh, what a great That comment. they were really yeah. phenomenal. They were just regular guys who got in the, you know, in the wrong time, wrong place. And um, anyway, it was a great experience. And uh, voices like yours need to be heard. And uh, it's, it's nice to share my perspective, and I thank you for that. Well, hats off so to much, you, because I know yeah. that's a hard yeah. occupation inside yeah. of prison. Thank yeah. you. That's and nice. I want to, maybe we could just reflect on that, dilate on what that might mean for folks to, that, that what they'd like to be remembered as a good father. Like, what does that say to you? I mean, to me, it says a lot, you know. Um, I think prison is the one place that if you, you know, if you open to it, you know what I'm saying, you can observe everything that you've done in your life. You know, you can observe how you want to change your life and you can actually make some steps towards that. That's if you're not in those situations where you get caught up in all the, the drama and the prison politics where, you know, you don't have those opportunities because it's just a crazy environment. But I think every person in there, like the story we just did with uh, Camp Grace, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. people just want to be better fathers, you know, better individuals, you know, and and get out that mindset that a lot of us grow up in in the inner cities. Yeah, I think what it points out is that just like people on the outside, people in prison change over time. They they grow, they, they, they mature. And somehow people feel when you go into prison that you become you're you're, you're people like, feel you stuck you're, you're stuck like and the lady you don't said when she's seen change. them getting sentenced yeah, like that's, people think that's it you sentenced that's it that's your life and you've, you're never going to uh, change and that's absurd grow. so people are changing just like on the outside and and have the same desires I mean love family and caring about other people and yeah it's a lot of do people, the work yeah it's like just like you know I know we're going back to the three strike stuff but most of the people that we're trying to free over seven thousand some people have been sitting there for twenty some years and they just ready to get out here yeah. and assist us in these communities because most of the people out here that's out here with us that's formerly incarcerated we out here in these communities you know doing the work so yeah yeah that is a great way to end we have been talking with the pulitzer nominated podcast host <laughs> Erlon woods and nigel poor the podcast is ear hustle the book is this is ear hustle thanks so much for coming uh, on thank you great to talk with hold you hold on let me say that one more time this is Ear Hustle, unflinching <laughs> stories of everyday prison life. <laughs> Order from your Madrigal. local bookstore. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.